0: Welcome to Women Wanting Women where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, Jordana Michelle, lesbian love coach and matchmaker extraordinaire. You can learn more about me at jordanamichelle.com where you will also find amazing free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what Qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet, a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, and because I'm such a great matchmaker and I might already be friends with the woman of your dreams, I'm also offering everyone a free survey you could fill out so I can keep you in mind as I meet amazing women just like you through the work that I'm doing and the networking I do all the time throughout our community. All of this is free at JordanaMichelle.com. But in the meantime, I have a question for anyone listening to this podcast who is single, lonely, and longing for love. Why do you think you're still single? Why do you think you and your soulmate haven't found each other yet? Do you think the world is too big and she's living in some faraway city? Do you think you have different group of friends and so you're just never in the same place at the same time? Do you think you always pick the wrong women? Do you think you're too picky? Do you worry that maybe you're not enough in some way? Whatever you think might be standing in your way, what if I told you there was a beautiful, streamlined, seven-week process for turning this around? My guest on this episode is Catherine Woodward Thomas, author of a book called Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. I read this book when I was single, and I used it to find and attract love into my life. And today, I have the relationship that I do thanks to the things that I learned from Katherine Woodward Thomas. In this interview, Katherine shares with us some of the key principles of her world famous process for attracting love into your life. She reveals the biggest obstacle to love for anyone who's single and lonely, and she gives us tools for how to get ourselves out of that downward spiral of disappointment when things don't work out or when we get re- rejected by someone we like. In this interview, Catherine actually calls me out on a couple of my own blind spots and gives me tools for being an even better coach, which was a huge thrill for me because she's arguably the love coach that I respect most in this world. And I'm going to be very blunt and say that what Catherine Woodward Thomas teaches can change your life forever and help you find and finally connect with the woman of your dreams the way that she did for me. I so badly want that for you. So you don't want to miss this interview. Um, Catherine Woodward Thomas is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Conscious Unconscious*. Coupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After, which was nominated for a Books for Better Life Award and the national bestseller, Calling in the One: Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. She's also a licensed marriage and family therapist and teacher to thousands from all corners of the world in her future virtual and in-person learning communities. Catherine is the originator of the conscious uncoupling process made famous by Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, as well as the creator of the amazing online course, Calling in the One, 49 Days to Love. To date, Catherine has trained and credentialed hundreds of people as certified Conscious Uncoupling coaches and as certified Calling in the One coaches. For more information, visit her at dot ConsciousUncoupling.com, and CallingInTheOne.com. Um, and you can also find fo- follow her on Facebook and Twitter, and those links will all be available below in our show notes. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I get really personal myself, and I share a lot about my own inner process and the secrets that I learned from Catherine that helped me find the love that I have in my life. And FYI, um, you're going to want to make sure you have something to write with because Catherine's wisdom is priceless. And when this woman talks, you want to be taking notes and paying close attention. So without further introduction, here is the interview. So Catherine, thank you so, so much for being here with me on this podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: you. I'm thrilled to be here with you. And, um, I just want to honor you and appreciate you so much for what you're creating for women. And, um, you know, you're, you're pioneering a whole new conversation that's kind of been underserved for a long time. So I just want to say bravo you. And bravo to
0: you, because even while we were underserved, um, I was single and lonely, and I didn't have a lesbian love coach to turn to. But in your book, so many of the examples, um, you always are giving um, same-sex couples, um, both male and female. You've never left that out. Um, You've always included us in the conversation and and made me feel very welcome and very represented. So um, really, bravo to you for that. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for that acknowledgement. And I do have coaches that I've trained who are lesbians, and I keep telling them to get out there more because lesbians really need more love coaches. So, we sure um, do. Yeah, yeah we cool. sure do. And um, there
0: are other aspects of it, you know, that are deeper in the lesbian community that are interesting, such as like the way that girls are mean to each other when we're little and the wounding that we have to deal with just around
1: that and our intersocial stuff, so... Yeah, I think there are certain things that are kind of, you know, unique to the lesbian community, and I'm glad we're talking about it. I mean, in Calling in the One, as you well know, Calling in the One is really um, based upon um, the laws of manifestation and how we create, how we're constantly generating our lives. And that we tend to repeat old sad stories on an unconscious level because there are parts of us that are incongruent with the love that we would want to bring into our lives. So calling in the one is about making all of those things conscious and restoring choice and being able to um, create a miracle in, in our love life. And you just lived that story, which I'm really excited to hear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So much of um, of why I was able to call my soulmate to me and, and find my beloved in this world is because of the work that I was doing around calling in the one. Um, and, yeah, it's it's for me Which what's so, you know, I want to go backwards and forwards, what's so amazing about calling in the one, um, it's, it's like... Um, I had already been studying personal growth and I already had some mentors and I had already read a lot of books. And so when I opened your book, it was um, it was like I could trust you because I knew that you were on the right path. You were saying things that really resonated with the deep inner work that anyone would need to do if they were going to grow into a more aligned um, whole person. And it was like you just took it and so beautifully slice down which parts of of this are going to be most necessary for finding a soulmate. And it's such a masterful work.
1: It's just it's very elegantly put together. You know, I didn't know it at the time. The book came out in 2004, and I didn't know it at the time. But Calling in the One, actually, if I can just brag for a second. Please. It's the first book of its kind. It's the first book that actually marries metaphysical principles with being able to manifest um, a beautiful, intimate, partnership and also because my my background is as a a therapist i think it has a lot of depth to the conversation and a lot of deep clarity about the ways that we get in our own way Um, but i think the authenticity or the way that you're talking about it why it just resonated is true is because i did it i lived it i was not a person who ever had an easy time finding love I had, uh, you know, we look back at our childhoods and now we can see a lot of the stuff. Oh, we had, you know, broken attachment patterns or insecure attachment patterns and alcoholism and um, crazy family dynamics or whatever that kind of sets us on the pathway of these very difficult, challenging patterns sometimes that we feel, I think, so victimized by a lot because a lot of us are doing our work for many, many years, and we somehow can't outgrow the patterns, we see them showing up time and time again. So I certainly was living that I was even at the point, by the time I became 40 was, um, was a a, a psychotherapist, a licensed therapist. And, um, and still I hadn't had that breakthrough for myself. So calling in the one is actually the process that I did inside of a crazy commitment that I made to you know, have a breakthrough, calling that person, be engaged by my 42nd birthday, which when I declared it was only eight months away, and there were no prospects for a partner, let alone a really great partner. So it's just kind of standing on face. But the question is, Jordana, that I know you know that made all the difference is that inside of that commitment, I didn't run out desperately to try and find someone to partner with what I did is I basically went deeper in my own practice to, to look and discover all the inner barriers that I have may, may have built against love unknowingly. Because, um, you know, even though it just felt like I was randomly running into all these unavailable people, or I had these patterns, um, I knew that, I knew intellectually anyway, that I was the through line to that. And that something must be going on inside of me. And I got really curious about how I was a magnet for these kind of no-win dramas that I had found myself in for many years. And it's and it was really inside of that inquiry that this whole world opened up. And I started to see all of the subtleties of how I was getting in my own way. And... Um, and, and, you know, one after another, I started to to uh, see them clearly, take responsibility for them, uh, look to see how I could correct my consciousness, correct my actions to be more in alignment with the future I was committed to creating. You know, they're subtle, but they're glaring. When you look, it's things like, um, I'd be curious to hear, if, you know, what you discovered in doing the Calling in the One work. But like, for me, one of them was... Uh, Agreements that I had made along the way, like with my own heart, that I'd never let anyone hurt me like that again. Um, I had an agreement with a high school boyfriend that I love that story you tell. Yeah, that story is continued too. That's a crazy story. So I had this boyfriend in high school named Frank. And uh, we were together for about three and a half years, and we're supposed to get married. And then of course, you know, I'm 18. And I wanted to go to college. And he didn't want me to go to college because he was going into his family business and blah, blah, blah. We were kids. So we broke up in this very dramatic way. And I was in so much pain that I decided I, I pledged fidelity. I said, when we go when we're in our 60s, we'll find each other again, and then we'll marry. Well, you know, fast forward, like, you know, here I am in my 40s, and I'm still pining over him. I'm dreaming about him. He married somebody the next year. It severed our connection. It was very Romeo and Juliet traumatic, and uh, and, and 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 I had prolonged grief from it for for decades. Um, so I brought him into my meditation. I didn't want to call him because he still was married to that woman, and he had three children, and I thought it would be disruptive. So I just brought him into meditation. And I had this conversation, and I completed the relationship. I said, I'm not going to keep that agreement, which I had long ago forgotten about, you know, so I'm standing in the question like, okay, what's in the way of being able to manifest that future? Let me see if I can clear out all of these obstacles. And that agreement was one of them but I'll just tell you fast forward which is not in the book because I hadn't lived it by the time it was in the book so the book comes out and I have that story in the book and several years go by go by and a, a mutual friend between Frank and I discovers the book reads the part about Frank and calls him up and tells him about part of the book and ends up reconnecting the two of us And we just had this like deep heartfelt crying, I'm sorry, I hurt you, blah, blah, blah conversation. And I found out that he had also been suffering for many years uh, with prolonged grief, even though he was married and happily, you know, a father of three beautiful kids, and they had a good marriage, but he still like in his deep in his heart, we felt sad about it and dream about me. So I asked him, when did the dream stop for you? And he said to me about eight years ago, he thought for yeah. a minute, Which is Isn't that
0: exactly when you had released him, yes. unbelievable. Those ties are so strong. Um, and that's what's so great about your work is that it's so at the same time, you know, it's definitely as woo woo as it gets, but then it's so grounded. It's so practical. You know, we, we, it's so easy to look inside yourself and say, where do I have those agreements that I'm making? Um, and it's amazing. Calling in someone during meditation was a big part of what I learned from you. Although it wasn't to um, call in an ex, it was to connect with uh, to connect with my girlfriend I hadn't met yet. And that idea that really I hadn't so much thought about before you and uh, before I heard you talking about it. Um, just sitting and meditating with her, thinking about her, I started talking to her, kind of keep letting her keep me company because it also helped me. Um, get rid of my fear of loneliness or my feeling of loneliness. It's not lonely when you feel her there. And I started every time I felt that pang of loneliness in my heart, I would acknowledge that it wasn't just my own loneliness I was feeling, but also hers. And I said, okay, I got you. I'm never going to settle until
1: I find you. I promise. And I would make that promise to her. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. I've never heard anyone say it quite like that. It's really touching.
0: Well, it was inspired by what I learned from you. Um, and forgiveness was definitely a part of it. I had had, um, a a prior relationship that I was still very angry about. And, uh, there was a huge painting that hung in my apartment that had come from our relationship. And I was still like blaming her for all these things that happened. And, um, one day I was hanging out with my, with my best guy friend and we were in my, on my porch hanging out and I, and he said something and somehow she came up and I was, mad. you know, I said like, Oh, whatever, whatever it was that I said. And he, and then all of a sudden, I just, we, I kind of let it go. I said, you know what? Screw it. I learned so much from her. You know, we had a blast together. And, um, and any way that I got hurt, it was me ignoring red flags long before. Like, I set that up for myself. I'm responsible for that. That wasn't her. You know, I could have easily, had I watched the red flags, got out of that long before I got hurt. And uh, so much of why I got hurt was me trying to make her into something that she wasn't. And then wow. being... So it was, I really never hurt. She didn't hurt me. I I used her to hurt myself. And all of a sudden it was so clear to me. And I went, I remember because I had a date that night. And so I remember leaving the porch and walking into the shower and almost falling down because the weight off my shoulders was so, I was dizzy. I I, I literally felt like out of my body because I had no energy left in my anger towards her. None. I, I didn't. I wasn't mad at her at all. It was just, I saw how it was me. I was able to smile at our memories and be grateful for what I learned. And that's it. And that the date that I had that night uh, is Carolina is the love of my life. She walked in that very night.
1: That's a remarkable story.
0: Yeah. And I couldn't wait to, I, and in my, I said, I'm going to tell this to Catherine one day because I it was, you were there with me, you and Arielle, like, it was so right out of your teachings that you have to forgive, that you have to let it go. And, and you're, you're, it was like, you know, you let it go when the energy is totally out of it. And that's exactly what happened. And to say like, and she walked in that night, you know, my girlfriend.
1: But I will just point out to everybody the brilliance of what you did, because it, it's not just, sometimes we try and forgive like a bypass and, and you didn't do that. Um, you know, because forgiveness, getting to that place where you're, it's all neutral and you're not carrying it anymore and you don't feel victimized, you don't have that residue, um, has to do with really learning your lesson and, and seeing your part in it. So you saw, okay, I was skipping over the red flags, I was minimizing them, I was dismissing them as not important. And had I taken, them seriously i would have gotten out before i got hurt so obviously what's implied in that is that you pay attention to red flags and that you turn towards them and you engage them so you can trust yourself to love again and that's yeah and that growth is 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 golden and and in some ways then you've made value out of that experience
0: oh yeah i love that i i look back with only fondness on you know she was you know I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want it get in my future, but I'm so glad that that was a part of my past. I learned so many lessons that make me a better coach, make me a better friend, make me a better human, you know, and it's beautiful, every experience. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for that one. In fact, there are 49 lessons in your book, and the very last lesson is making a list of the things you want in a person. It's, it's the last thing. And you say you skip over it because sometimes people focus too much on those external qualities.
1: Yeah, I mean, we go to that list, you know, right? I've heard that so often uh, that we make these long lists of what the other person's supposed to look like. But I think it's – and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I think it's probably equally, if not more important, to ask, well, who would I need to be in order to be with a person of that caliber? Totally. Right? So who, so we're, we're focused on growing ourselves, uh, into the the best that we can be. I think calling in the one has kind of a, a little twist in meaning. People obviously pick up the book because they're looking for the one. They want that one partner, that one special person. And very often at the end of the book, people say, oh, I get it. Calling in the I'm one the was the one. Me. I'm the yeah. one. <laughs> I'm the one. It's my higher self. Well, We're- I was going to just say, so calling in the one really is inside of this perspective um, of like how is it happening through me as opposed to to me and who would i need to be being in order to you know call in that perfect partner for me and how would i need to be growing myself to prepare myself for love and it's it's from it's creating love from the inside out which i'm just hearing so many examples in the way that you're sharing just even the way you're meditating and you're feeling what it feels like to be in that relationship without attaching too much to what that's going to look like Totally.
0: I would, um, it just, I took it all inside. I even used to say to myself, and this is one of my favorite things, it didn't necessarily come from you, but once I started feeling all this stuff, I said, hey, why not? Um, So I started picturing how somewhere, no matter where you are, no matter what you feel like, no matter how bad of a day you're having, somewhere on this earth, right now, Two people just met, they're so excited, they're gonna have a first date, like they know it, they know how good it is. And I would just get into that juicy, yummy feeling of like, oh my god, it just happened. Could this really be it? You know, and I would get into like their reality, because why not? You know, why not instead of sitting here and focusing on what I don't have, like, let's just go and live vicariously through whoever they are. And I would just be like, Oh, I'm so happy for them, and I would get excited for them and Um, like I was watching a movie, but really participating. And then, you know, it's, it's that, that idea that if you want for others more than you want for yourself, then you can call it towards you, um, which is very woo woo. But if you really just, it, the truth is it just made my
1: day, made me happy, you know? It's amazing. Well, I think, I think where some people might get stopped in being able to do what you're doing and you're exactly spot on is that there's deep seated, uh, beliefs, um, around, who, who they are in relationship that comes from uh, circumstances in the past. It's based in things that happened and, you know, attachment traumas are a big one. Um, or if you're raised by like a narcissistic parent or alcoholism in your home or certain things or, or some kind of abuse by an old, older sibling, all of these things that kind of um, imprint us with a lack of safety or a lack of love. And what that does when we're young is we often form an identity, uh, which I call your false love identity. It's, you know, who who I am as it relates to love. We're not always walking around like that because we grow up and we discover that we're competent people and we can earn a living and we can have some certain successes in life. And what happens is that sometimes when we meet somebody or we're in the early stages of dating – that old insecure self will start to run the show. Mm. And once we're triggered into that part of ourselves and we're navigating from that center, we tend to sabotage relationships or we tend to start showing up in needy ways that are actually repelling yeah. to another person. Uh, and that's when we really duplicate these old stories and so you know Freud talked about it over 100 years ago the repetition compulsion how is it that we keep repeating these patterns over and over again so one of the things that we do in calling in one is we help people to really name that false love identity and to see that as a younger part of the self, which usually if you ask yourself, okay, how old is this part of me, an age will come up. Sometimes it feels more pervasive than that. And that lets me know always that this this was a consciousness that was inherited when you were in the womb, or maybe something happened when you were an infant. So it's actually outside of language. But usually we can put some kind of a, a, a name on, on on the belief and identify an age And then we have to come back into the wise adult part of us to say, wait a minute, what's really true about this idea? And how can I lovingly mentor this part of me that's kind of stuck in that story and get deeper and wider than that story so that I can be in control of my love life and I can graduate us from that story and uh, really you know, come into the fullness of the love that I'm destined to have in this lifetime. So these, these inner obstacles to love are really, you know, certain things like the agreements or grudges that we're holding or places in our life where we're chronically giving our power away, but the, um, the core beliefs are what we really want to align with um, our ability to receive love in a, in a very, in a very beautiful way.
0: Yeah. And, um, and I hear you, I, 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 what I'm, what I'm thinking about are triggers, right? When we get super triggered, whether it's by the person we're with or whatever, something happens in our day and we repeat these old patterns, there's that moment in which you're totally triggered and totally reactive. And how it, how do you, at that point, um,
1: you know, how do we get ourselves out of it? Well, the first, and the first rule is don't take action from that center mm. because the consciousness of that center will cause you to behave in ways that then generate that reality. So for example, if you go into, um, you know, an I'm not wanted story, right? Fear of loss, fear of loss. You might do one of two things. Well, it's, it's fear of rejection, mm. It's what it is. Right. You know, so the chronic, maybe maybe you had a parent or an older sibling who's constantly rejecting you. So your love identity, you kind of imprinted with this chronic rejection. And you made it mean that I'm a person who's not really wanted and other people don't want to be with me. So then that, you know, you're, you know, watching you're watching a movie with your beloved and um, suddenly a phone call comes in and that person's distracted and not wanting to watch the movie anymore. So you go into your story somehow, it's just like, you know, I mean, somebody could breathe funny and we go into the story and suddenly you're in that story again. And usually the way that we want to then behave to fix that feeling is we'll do something that really pushes the other person away. So maybe... We reject them first. We turn off the movie. We say, "I'm going to go now," and you reject them before you feel more rejected, or you're going to go after them like in this kind of needy, desperate plea. But pay attention. But this is our movie time, and this is our time. Get off the phone, right? Which is kind of repelling. And so, of course, the other person's then going to back up a little bit. So we're we're kind of programmed to behave that way uh, in ways that generate evidence of the story. So the first thing I tell people to do is don't act. You know, Just take a deep breath, close your eyes, ask yourself, okay, so, so what's the consciousness I'm centered in? What's the I am belief that I'm emotionally anchored in right now? How old is this part of me? And then extend love to that part. Mm-hmm. And then you start with yourself and you, say, you might say, sweetie, you're not, you're not unwanted. I want you. I love you. I'm right here. No one's rejecting you. And then you talk yourself off the ledge until you can get back into an adult center, because that's where relationships work, and that's where relationships realize the higher potentials that they hold for happiness and well-being. Is adult to adult? Yeah. So we have but to be Straight.
0: I'm lucky because I still get super triggered. I'm terrible in my own way when it, when things, you know. My girlfriend's really good at handling me, though. Um, I'm really lucky. And I do think that when you meet the right person, um, and you know, your, whatever your stuff aligns with her stuff and she's the one who's, you know, the mirror, who's going to help you grow kind of thing. Um, even if you get reactive and terrible and triggered and push her away, fine, I'm going to go in the other room then or whatever it is. I totally do that. Um, but you know, she stays with me and I think when you do find the right
1: person, well, oh, that's beautiful. I, I want to say something about um, what you were sharing about about your girlfriend and how kind she is and how loving she is that she's able to stay in an adult center mm. and not go into reactivity to your reactivity, totally. which you're fortunate to find. I don't know that that um, is so for everyone. Um, I think that fear breeds fear. And so when we go into a trigger space, we kind of trigger the other person often Um, and I know that there is there's this element of um, coming together so that we can heal each other and we can partner with each other to evolve beyond those old wounds Um, and I also think that it begins with us uh, knowing what those triggers are and and being willing to be responsible for holding that younger self that gets frightened and reactive Um, Otherwise, we can burn our partners out. Mm. Because I've seen sometimes where if we're not doing our own work, then. We kind of always make it the other person's job. And I think, it, I think that what happens is, is that we just wear people out if we're not doing our own work. I know you do your own work, so you're, you can say that because it's a given that you are doing your own work. I just yeah. wanted to clarify that. For- no,
0: no, it's a really good distinction, and I'm glad that you said that. I take for granted a few things. One of them is that my girlfriend is 30, going on 30,000 years old. She's like the wisest human that I know. Um, and the other is that, that, that personally growing is a big deal for both of us and something that we work on all the time.
1: Yeah. And you're pretty advanced in it. I mean, you, you put yourself into those conversations rigorously and you have for a while and now you're sharing them with other people. Right. But, so. but that is sort
0: of, you're right. Uh, it's, it's a good reminder that, um, that a lot of, that there is a step in between all of that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's really, really important. Something we struggle with a lot more sometimes is is just not even finding someone to date, you know. As lesbians, there's this sense that we're part of a minority, which is true, but sometimes we really internalize that and make it mean that there's just so many fewer options for us because a lot of times it can feel that way. That was something that I know I struggled with a lot when I was single. I see a lot of my friends struggling with it. It's sort of a theme that I see all the time among the queer women that I know the sense of that being part of a minority means that we have fewer options, which leads a lot of times to a kind of neediness when we're meeting women um, and dating, that there could just be the sense that, oh my God, if it doesn't work out with this woman, then when am I even going to meet the next person? Um, When I was single, I had times where I, I remember one time I went 18 months not 18 months being single, but 18 months without even finding anyone that I was excited to go out with. While I would watch my straight friends have dates you know, every weekend with potential, with potential guys or potential girls that, or potential women that they would have liked, my straight friends. For me, it sometimes felt that there was a scarcity, like there was, um, like I had no options. And I see a lot of my friends, we, we struggle with that. Until the point where I literally became convinced of it. Um, and so what I did was eventually I, I, t- I learned to turn that around because I realized I was trapped in this mentality, trapped in this mindset where I was convincing myself that that it was hard harder for me to find women than it was for heterosexual people to find mates. So I started saying to myself all the time, hot lesbians are everywhere. And it became sort of my thing. And any time one of my friends would say to me, oh, it's just so hard to meet girls, I'd say, no, it's not. Hot lesbians are everywhere. And eventually I have stickers that say hot lesbians are everywhere. I have T-shirts that say hot lesbians are everywhere. And I just turned it into my mantra because it just was so important for me to turn that around. But, um, you know, a question that I really wanted to ask you, and I know we've covered parts of it, but I see um, it's it's a twofold question. Uh, I have clients that when I'm trying to convince them of just the need to just believe in love, because if they don't believe in love then it's, you know, if they really don't believe that love is definitely destined to be a part of their lives, it's going to be harder to do this work. But then the answer is, how can I believe in love when first of all, you know, all I'm getting is rejection. And second of all, you know, I know that there are old ladies living on my hall who are alone, or I see, you know, my aunt never found anyone and there are people who end up alone. So how do I know that's not going to be me? And in the face of that evidence, how can I still believe in love? And I just wanted to hear
1: your response to that. I think it's really important because when when we're listening to your story and and where you were generating from your relationship in consciousness, there's an underlying assumption that love is for you. Um, When you're talking about we're meditating together and you're talking her and all that. And what happens, though, if we have these false love identities that are pretty steeped, not just in traumas in the past, but then a lot of evidence, like how it's just chronically shown up like that time and time again, and we feel kind of like it might be just our fate to be alone in this lifetime, um, is, is, it really traces back to noticing the consciousness that you're centered in and where you're generating your love life from and being able to step outside of that to wake yourself up out of the trance of that. So, um, you know, if we think about, you know, sometimes I invite people to just think for a moment about things that come easily. You know, there's certain things that just kind of happen for us. Maybe that's making money for some or maybe that's I have a lot of good friends or, um, you know, Creative success just comes kind of easily. So we have these areas that things work without much effort. But if you really think about like your self sense in that part of your life, you'll see that you kind of have this organic sense of healthy entitlement to have that particular Mm -hmm. thing. So that's an identity that's congruent with the having of that. And the thing that's hardest for us to create is when we, When we have an identity that's different than what it is that we want to create. So that's why I was saying that the beliefs are the biggest obstacle to love because, in order to get, in order to manifest, we have to be anchored in a possibility of this is an abundant universe, it's a benevolent universe, it's a kind, there's hot lesbians everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Yes. I have my pick, you know, like that's the consciousness where you're open and you're generative of connection and you're coming from the best of you um, and you're, you yourself are available. So that's the consciousness. It's kind of the entry point of getting into the manifestation game is that I live in this benevolent universe. And I really, you know, love that you're making transparent that you didn't have that consciousness. You had some inner conversation of scarcity. You know, I'm, I'm Great different. Time. You know, I'm a lesbian. I'm different. My options are limited in life. Absolutely. You know, and it's going to, it's hard to find love. And so, so there's, and, and a lot of the homophobia that some of us grew up with, it gets imprinted too. like, God doesn't really want me to have love or I'm cursed in love, you know, whatever messages we might've received. So those things get internalized and we, we in our minds don't believe them, but sometimes we hold on to the emotional center of that consciousness and the key to being free is is to learn how to identify those conversations and send love to those parts of ourselves and correct the consciousness and the false assumptions that we're inside of, right? So it could be like, sweetheart, it's not that, you know, God doesn't love lesbians. It's it's that you were raised in an environment of people who were frightened and confused and didn't know any better. And what's really true about that is that, you know, life is, you know, in love with all of us and all of our variety. And what's really true is that you're blessed to love women. You know, in in a million years, I would always choose to live this life. Thank God I'm a lesbian and not heterosexual. Thank God I yeah. need to be right? Like you have, to, yeah. you have to talk yourself into like what's actually true. But and so then, a lot of my
0: clients in that moment of scarcity, in that moment of when when they come back to me and say, how can I say, because they hear They say, I hear you. I hear about your mantra. You know, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe it. I can't see it. You know, I, I and, and so it's like, how do you get them to, when they don't really believe it, even that, even if you say to yourself, sweetheart, you know, you're just thinking in terms of your fear right now, then if you say what's really true, how do they know that's
1: true? That's what they come uh, back to me and want to know. But that, but that way of saying it, sweetheart, you're just thinking in your fear, minimizes it. Oh, okay. Okay. So what you want to say instead is tell me about that fear. Mm tell me what that where first of all where do you feel that in your body because we have to shift things somatically right we can't really shift and change our lives from just analyzing them ad nauseum so you say well where is that in your body this feeling this sinking feeling like it can happen for other people but it can't ever happen for me and when you say that you know it's like put your hand on that part of your body and what's the I am What's the story in that part of the self? Because what's happening right then is that we get overly identified with our feelings. We give a lot of credence to our feelings and our thoughts sometimes. You remember that Mm -hmm. saying, don't believe everything you think and don't believe everything you feel. Mm -hmm, But we have to name what the feeling is and what the story is. We have to go through that process. I mean, I, I do that very extensively. You remember that because you were... You know, you studied with me, but the, in the calling in the one process, we really go very, very deeply. It, it, the beginning of that is in the book, and it's mostly in my my um, online virtual courses that we really have gotten quite sophisticated about being able to, as we call it, shift centers. Right. And somehow you, know, you had a you had a phrase that woke you up out of the trance, but the phrase felt true to you. There are hot lesbians everywhere. That's what we call a power statement, right? It wakes you up out of that old limitation, and you're suddenly aware. Like, oh, actually, there are.
0: Yeah. It's, well, it was hard to prove, but there was always this, like, one very beautiful woman that would always sort of be at the bar. So I'd say, see, Nina's there, you know, and I would always point to her. Or, you know, I had she was a friend of mine. And so I would, like, whenever anyone would say it's hard to meet girls, I'd say, screw that. Hot lesbians are everywhere. And then I'd point out,
1: you know, the beautiful women all around us. Um well, so that's an example of you actually making the effort to keep, keep yourself awake, yeah. to wake yourself up, and then to stay awake yeah. and not back into the trance. What well, the thing that triggers the trance more than anything is when we have a disappointment. So we can wake ourselves up, to, whether that be to you know waking up out of scarcity. A lot of us have feelings like we're not worthy of love. Or maybe if we felt so alone when we were children, we kind of formed an identity of being all alone. And we don't see ourselves as the source of that aloneness. It really feels imposed upon us. One of the key um, components to the work that we do in our community also is seeing ourselves as the source of our experience, which doesn't mean that we're blaming ourselves. But if I start to see, oh, I see, you know, I have this big I'm alone story and I tend to isolate. Or I cut people off quickly when they displease me. I just close down my heart and, you know, stop generating relationship because I'll go into self-protective mode as opposed to try and work things out. Or I don't work out conflict or I avoid conflict like the plague because I think it's the end of the relationship, which eventually will lead to a relationship where two people are alone because there's no truth telling happening and you're like dancing around everything that's a potential conflict. So, You know, the experience is I'm still alone, even though I'm in this relationship, or maybe I don't ever let go of my self-sufficiency, or maybe I'm an overgiver and I don't receive. So there's all sorts of ways of relating that generate aloneness as a pattern, and they're outside of conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. We don't even realize that we're doing it. Um, We think it's just kind of happening to us. And so then, you know, then something is sitting on my stars, or, um, you know, it's not meant for me in this lifetime, we have all these stories, or there's no great women out there, there's scarcity out there. So we make up stories about why we're alone. But one of the things we want to do is to really see ourselves as the source of that story, because that's what liberates us to create a different story. So the moment I step out of, I'm victimized by this in some way. It's in my astrological chart, so I'm just victimized by that chart, you know, the moment I came into incarnation. But when you start to see the ways that we actually subtly generate the story, You can wake yourself up out of the trance and then you can start showing up in new ways that are going to create a whole different experience. Because if you walk into a room and you think the world is unfriendly and scarce and there's no hot lesbians around, then you're going to behave one way. But if you walk into that room anticipating hot lesbians are everywhere, you know, love is for you, you know, life is on your side to create love, you're going to be a whole different person walking into that room.
0: Yeah, happier, freer, more joyful because you don't have to worry uh, and be closed down. And, you know, I don't want to talk to you because what if I miss her when she walks in or there's that closeness of, of right. when you're in scarcity as opposed to the openness and the joy that comes from being in a in that
1: more of a place of abundance. I think it's important that we remember that all of the practices that we do really matter and really build spiritual strength where we get to choose our consciousness and we can wake up out of the trance of the old stories, that we have a lot more power than we think when it comes to evolving beyond them and and manifesting what I call a miracle, which is an unprecedented experience of happiness and joy and love.
0: So, you know, I just want to ask one more question, and then I want to talk more about the work that you're doing and where people can find you now, because I think it's so important for people to find you. I mean, I don't know where I'd be without you, so... Um, you know, let's just, you know, I love the Pareto principle, that idea that, you know, you could just take the tip of the iceberg, the 80, 20, because, you know, your book, it's, it's, you know, there are 49 lessons. They're pretty deep. But if someone were to just have one takeaway, what do you think they could do? The least thing they could do to get the biggest impact uh, takeaway from this call
1: right now? Well, I think it, it comes, I think it begins, it begins with the courage to set an intention for love. And, um, and to begin to find our way to that future and be oriented around that future. So it's starting with an intention like, I'm really committed to manifesting a miracle in my love life so that I'm happy with my beloved partner who is happy with me, you know, just for an example. And then, and then you ask the question like, well, you know, what does that feel like to have that? And, and you begin to borrow from, I don't know, your relationship with your dog or your relationship with your best friend or how you feel when you got a promotion. You know, like you just you begin to borrow from certain experiences and you craft a narrative inside of you. And then you lean in and you say, well, who would I need to be now in order to receive that into my life? What am I going to have to offload? Well, maybe I have to offload that, you know, resentment that I'm carrying, where I'm so victimized, or maybe I have to let go of that, you know, decision I made in my heart long ago that I'm never going to be hurt like that again, or even my misguided loyalty to my unhappy mother, who's never had a, you know, a, a good relationship. And um, and maybe I can just offload a misguided loyalty where I'm going to align with her because I somehow think she you know she that I'm abandoning her if I be happy if I let myself be happy in love, and and then we also ask and who would I need to become, you know, which is maybe more self responsible, more self aware. Maybe I need to learn certain books about how to navigate conflict in a way that roots down love because I think there's a growth journey you know, it's not just about meeting the right person, it's about being the right person when you meet the right person. So we want to prepare ourselves to receive that future into our lives. So it's being oriented towards that future. And, And, and recognizing that our past does not determine our future happiness and love, we do in this moment in who we're choosing to be, and what we're choosing to align with.
0: Right. It's never too late. There's never a moment in your life where you're too old or too far gone to say, I'm going to become the person I need to be to have love in my life right now. Um, and then, and then craft based on what you're saying, figure out what that would really feel like and how that would really be on the inside for you. And then looking at who you would need to be to then grow into that person and, um, and have all of that manifest who you need to be. And um, what skills you need to possess, or what you need to let go of. I love that. That's beautiful. So I, I want everyone to know where they can find you and what you're working on now. Um, you know, what where can what can people do to learn more from you?
1: People can always go to my website, kathrynwoodwardthomas dot com, and that's Kathryn with a K, um, to find out what's current. Um, I do have. Um, I do. I I am I am very engaged with my community uh, in in helping us all to grow our capacity to love and be loved, because I recognize that relationships, each relationship, is its own universe, and we can it, and it has this, a, a spectrum of possibilities that could happen in that relationship. So it's, it's as I said, it's about being ready to uh, realize the higher potentials for happiness and health with the person that we do call in so one can sign up for the Love Out Loud Daily which is a free uh, group that we're all leaning in and learning how to love and be loved together Um, so that's right on my website the LOL Daily and also um, there's a free uh, there's a free call for Calling in the One for people who want to take a seminar that goes deeper at callingintheone.com Calling in the onecom and uh there's a free seminar that people can take where i take you through the process of really releasing your inner barriers to love to become magnetic and I, your, ha- no.
0: I highly recommend people check that out because it's amazing and i'm really excited to check out lol uh the new daily uh project for getting us all more open to loving each other and and loving the universe um And that's so exciting. So, and there are, there's going to be links to that in the show notes. So, check that out below. Um, And thank you so much for your time today, Catherine. This has been a wonderful, wonderful time. I've been so happy talking to you. And I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you you so much.
1: Lots of love to everyone. Thank you. Thanks
0: so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want more amazing free resources that will help you develop more self-confidence and help you make yourself more attractive to the women you desire, then go to jordanamichelle.com where you will find some of my best secrets all for free, including the ultimate guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life forever, a quiz that will tell you what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you finally meet her. A quick guide to the five biggest mistakes that lesbians make when coming out. A quiz that will tell you what kind of TV series your coming out story would be made into if they made one. And a free matchmaking survey you can fill out so that I can keep you in mind in case I happen to know or meet a perfect match for you. So go find my survey and tell me about yourself so that I can help you find love. All of this is free on jordanamichelle.com. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so I can learn more about you and what you're up to in the world. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Women Wanting Women.